am excited for our new series. Today we start a series called Asking for a Friend. Asking for a friend, and uh, as we go through this series today and over the next few weeks, both during our messages and just throughout the week, if you have any questions you would like to submit, you can always text those in to 662-404-2489. That's our church phone number. Um, if you go ahead and put that number on the screen for us, I'd appreciate that. It's 662-404-2489. You can text those in anytime this week or in the upcoming weeks. Um, and then we've got some principles we want to go through here. Um, when we co- it comes to these questions, how are we going to answer them? Uh, number one, uh, we are going to, when the Bible speaks clearly, I will speak clearly. So some questions, it's, man, black and white. It's what the Bible says. This is just how it is. So we're going to give you that biblical response. Number two, uh, when the Bible gives us a principle, we'll seek to apply that principle. So uh, in other words, there's certain things in our culture that didn't exist 2,000 years ago, right? Like one common one that will come in in a series like this is like a question about marijuana. Marijuana used to be really easy. Hey, if it's illegal, don't do it. And it's illegal, so black and white. Well, it's not so illegal anymore. Uh, In fact, uh, we went on a trip last summer through the West, and it's very legal. Uh, it's very legal and very everywhere. Uh, and so uh, you, that question has changed, right? And now what's, what's the biblical principle? So I won't give it to you since that's not today's message, but we'll seek to apply biblical principle to those things. Um, and then lastly, when the Bible is silent, if there's not a, a principle that, that I can find, um, I'll just share you, my opinion with you, but I'll tell you, hey, this is my opinion. Uh, so when you can take that or leave it, uh, and you can, you know, join with Melody and ignore my opinion, or you can, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love my wife, and I'm grateful for my wife. She'll be with us second service. Uh, you don't have to take my opinion and apply it. But at the same time, I'm not just going to be like, well, the Bible doesn't say, so I'm going to dodge a question. I'll answer the question and tell you my best understanding or my best guess, if that's the case, uh, on, on how this really works. So all that being said, today we are going to uh, answer questions about time with God. Questions about time with God. We had a whole lot of questions that came in uh, over this past week uh, related to the Bible prayer, and worship. And so I've kind of combined those three into one theme. We've got six questions today that we're going to answer. Now, if you text in questions today, I'd encourage you to text them in on this theme. If you have questions about time with God, if you have questions about how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to worship, uh, those would be great. This would be a great day to ask those questions. Uh, Because at the end of service, Susan, my administrative assistant, is going to come up with the church phone. And she's going to pick one of today's questions and see if she can stump me. Uh, She's going to ask me off the top. And, uh, and we'll see if we can have some fun with that question at the end. So all that being said, let's get to our set of questions. Let me say one other thing, actually, before we get to it. Um, we've already had a ton of awesome questions submitted along themes like sexuality, uh, a lot of questions about dinosaurs. Those were from the teenagers. Uh, we, questions about the end times, questions about eternity, questions just about our Christian witness. How should we respond to certain things in the culture or just certain things in daily life? Um, and a number of other questions as well. And so uh, it's going to be a fun series, getting to dig into those and go through them together. As much as we can, we're going to try to group questions together like we're doing today and have a daily theme as we go in 
into it. Um, and then at the end, we'll probably have like a hodgepodge miscellaneous day to just hit all the stragglers uh, and have some fun with those. So all that being said, uh, first question we had submitted on the Bible on our time with God is this, which is the easiest version of the Bible to read? And then this question actually said in parentheses, I, am, I have a hard time with English. The implication was that this is somebody who's actually, English is their second language. Uh, and so they're asking, what is the best version of the Bible to read? Now, they didn't tell me what their primary language is, and I couldn't answer that question in any other language anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I can answer in English, um, what is the easiest version of the Bible to read? What I want to do is talk a little bit real quick about biblical translations, um, and then I'll give you my recommendation. So biblical translations, number one, are are not inspired of God. We believe that the original texts are inspired of God, that they are God's word 100%. But in translation, there are errors. There are mistakes. There's a lot of challenges in translation. One, you're talking about language from anywhere from 3,000 to 2,000 years ago. We're talking about three ancient languages. Hebrew is the primary language of the Old Testament. Greek, the primary language of the New Testament. And very, very small fragments in both of what's called Aramaic. Uh, and so there, we're, we're talking ancient language. We're talking just the challenge of translating from one language to another it, it is always difficult because um, there are figures of speech. For instance, if we say something like, how, how about them apples? Uh, most Americans have a concept of what that means. Some of you are like, I don't even know. Uh, but uh, how do you like them apples? Some of us would know what that means. That doesn't necessarily translate to Spanish, right? And so if you saw that phrase, you'd have to try to come up with an equivalent phrase. Or if you just translated it word for word, the Spanish people wouldn't understand what you're saying. I don't know. Maybe that's like a big phrase in Spanish. I should have asked Wendell before I use that example. Anyway, uh, the idea is... There's challenges here, right? Uh, and so biblical translators take a couple of different approaches. There is uh, the literal translation approach. The literal translation is word for word. If it says, how do you like them apples? Then it's going to say, how do you like them apples? Uh, there's the transliteration approach. Transliteration is where we're going to try to communicate ideas, not just words. And so we're going to find a phrase in this other language that means the same thing as, how do you like them apples? Uh, and so there's different approaches that are taken in different translations. And so because of that, there's strengths and weaknesses, right? There's some that are better in this area and some that are better in that area. So let me say this. No biblical translation is perfect in English. Um, they all have value. Uh, and so before we get too far into which translation, I would just say, I would rather have you read one of the worst translations than not read at all. Uh, e even in the ones that aren't the best, there's definite strength and value there, and you're going to get a whole lot more out of it than not. So if I don't list your translation in this next conversation, you don't have to be like, go burn your Bible. Uh, like, this is trash. This is of the enemy, and I'm getting rid of this. Please don't. That's, that's not the application today. Uh, read. Please, read the Bible. Um, but since somebody's asking for recommendations, let me give some. Uh, so here's my recommendations. The most readable, which is what this question is, I believe that has a good level of accuracy is the New Living Translation. Uh, the, the New Living is, man, put in a modern-day English that's really easy to understand that I think just about any reader of English would be able to understand, even if it's not your primary language. Um, and so if you're looking for just pure readability, I recommend New Living above other ones like The Message 
The Living, there, there's another one called The Living Bible. The message in The Living Bible are what are called paraphrases. They're not actually translated from the original languages. They're translated from English versions, and now I'm going to reword the English version into other words that makes it easier to understand. And since those translators didn't actually study the original languages, there's some gaps there. Again, I'd rather have you read the message than not read the Bible at all. Uh, but if you're looking for readability, I would recommend the New Living. If you're looking for most accurate, most word-for-word -word translation, the best technical Bible is the New American Standard. Uh, if you want, man, what is, what is the best representation of what this said in Hebrew, what this said in Greek? The New American Standard has the highest level of, I guess, authenticity. Uh, it, it's, it's the highest level of academic scholarship involved. Uh, that also means it is not the easiest one to read. Uh, I do not read the New American Standard a whole lot. Uh, but if you want the most accurate version, that's the one to read. For me, the best combination of those is the NIV. Now, I prefer the 1984 NIV to the 2000 NIV, 2011 NIV. Um, the NIV is, is a good mix of both readability and accuracy. It's what I primarily preach out of, is the New International Version. Um, and so that's what I would recommend. If you're not an NIV fan, I know there's a lot of people that aren't NIV fans, um, the ESV is a good alternative. Uh, there, there's some differences between the NIV and the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. Um, if I ever quit preaching out of the NIV, I'll probably preach out of the ESV. Uh, that would probably be my next guess. And I didn't put it on the screen, but I, I should have added this in there. If you're like, you grew up on the King James and you, like, you love the familiarity and the poetic nature, and the King James is poetic. Uh, the King James is, is, to me, it's the most easy to memorize because of the, the, the poetic nature of it. It's also the hardest to understand. Uh, and so uh, it's also the most inaccurate. Uh, and I don't have time to get into all the details of why, but we can talk about that. I know some of you are like, you're, I'm going to hell because I said that King James is inaccurate. Um, like I just trampled on your idol. Uh, let me say this. Praise God for the King James Version. God has used it in a ton of ways, in a ton of lives. We have, I believe, much better translations available to us today, um, both that are applicable to us in the 21st century and understandable to us, but also that are more accurate. Um, so I would not recommend the King James, but if you are old school and you love that feel, then the New King James is a much superior option. Uh, and so the New King James is going to phrase things more similar to the King James, uh, but it has a much higher level of accuracy. So if you like that, I would recommend the New King James. So uh, that's where I stand on biblical translations. Now, let me go back since I promised you if it's my opinion, I'd give you my opinion. That's all my opinion. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt read the NIV. Uh, it doesn't say thou shalt not read the King James. Uh, so that is pure my recommendation uh, just from my study of biblical translations. So, uh, second question today, what is the best way and or order to read the Bible after you're done reading the Gospels? Uh, so, I oftentimes recommend for people to start reading the Gospels. If they're, if they're new readers, they're like, hey, where do I start? That my, my number one recommendation usually is read the book of John. Read one chapter a day in the book of John. Start there. And so, this person basically has started with the Gospels and says, hey, where do I go from here? What do I do? Awesome question. Um, let me say this. The Bible doesn't say. 
There is no specific order that you have to read the Bible in. There is no specific method that you need to read the Bible. Uh, the biggest thing is keep reading, okay? Um, if you go back and read through the Gospels again, awesome. If you just move forward and read through Acts and through the New Testament, awesome. If you want to go back to the beginning and start with Genesis, awesome. If you want to go to Psalms and Proverbs, awesome. None of those are bad answers. All of those are great answers. There's not a wrong answer when it comes to reading the Bible. Read the Bible. Uh, is there a best thing? For me, if you've just read through the Gospels, it makes sense to continue through the New Testament and go through Acts and Romans and through the epistles and all the way through Revelation. So that would probably be my recommendation, but just read. Uh, I don't care. Uh, and I don't know that God really cares. Now, sometimes he may, his Holy Spirit may put something specific on your heart, and if he gives you that, go for it. You may find a great reading plan, and that reading plan may skip around. It may have a couple chapters in the Old Testament and a chapter in the New Testament and a piece of Psalms and a piece of Proverbs and... Any of it's great. Here, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to grab the Bible and pray, God, show me what to read today, and open the Word of God and go for it right there. Now, I've heard awesome testimonies of people who were desperate and far from God and about to commit suicide, and they cried out to God in desperation, and he led them to the perfect passage for where they're at. Can God do that? Yes. But... God doesn't want to always meet you at the point of desperation, right? God wants to meet us at the point of faithfulness and a point of maturity. And as we mature in our walk with him, we shouldn't just open up and hope that we land on a verse that speaks to us. There's a process, yes, be intentional of working your way through scripture. So I would encourage you to keep reading. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this very famously. It says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's you, the follower of Jesus, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants to equip you through his word. He wants to build you up through his word. So keep reading. It's all scripture. It's all breathed by God. It's all relevant and applicable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that you can be built up. So stay in the word. All right, number three. Reading the Bible is really hard for me. Anybody identify with this question? Like, hey, I'm, I'm there. I've connected with you already. I'm right there. Reading the Bible is really hard for me because I don't understand metaphors or symbolism very well. How would you suggest reading and understanding the Bible better? Again, the Bible doesn't say, here's all the best ways to study the Bible. Okay, so I'm going to have to share with you a little bit of my opinion, uh, of my years as a pastor, my years of following Jesus for myself. What are the best ways to understand the Bible, especially if you struggle specifically with metaphor and symbolism? First thing I would recommend is get a good study Bible. Um, a study Bible is not going to answer everything. It's not going to explain everything. Uh, and the commentary in the study Bible is, again, not necessarily inspired by God. Um, so because it's not necessarily inspired by God doesn't means that not everything it says in there is going to 100% be accurate. It's somebody's opinion. However, the people who have provided those opinions are pretty qualified. Uh, they, they've studied the word pretty in-depth. Uh, and they've got a good concept. They may be a little bit of 
flaws in their theology, or maybe those things that I think are flaws in their theology are flaws in my theology, uh, right? There, there may be some things that are just a little bit off, but 98% of what you're going to find in a study Bible is going to be very, very helpful and applicable. Again, it's not going to answer everything, um, but it will help. So some recommendations on study Bibles. There's a ton of good ones out there. This is not the exhaustive list. Again, if you've got a different study Bible and you're like, no, oh, I, I missed it. Uh, I missed God because I got the wrong study Bible. Don't go like cuss out the person that gave you that false study Bible. Uh, not saying it's false. Here's my best recommendations though. I read the Quest study Bible. I really like the Quest. Um, it, it's my personal favorite. Uh, the NIV study Bible is really good. I had that one for years. Uh, if you're uh, Holy Spirit prone, Pentecostal, man, we just sang about the Holy Spirit, and man, you, you, you want to read through the lens of how does the Holy Spirit interact with me and move in my life, then the New Spirit Life, or Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible is, is a great one on that. Um, most of those, obviously not the NIV, uh, the other study Bibles are available in, in multiple translations. Um, I know the New Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible is available in a, in a whole collection uh, of translations. And so if you've got a personal translation you prefer, they've got a New Living version of it. They've got an NIV version of it. I think they've got a King James version of it. They, they've got a whole number of, of options uh, that you can meet where, wherever your translation preference is. Um, so they're available in a lot of different translations. There's other good study Bibles. This is not, man, the, the exhaustive list, but those are my personal favorites that I have found to be helpful and reliable. Let me say this too. Anything you continually do gets easier. It just does. And so the enemy wants to intimidate you and keep you out of the word and say, you can't understand this. You can't process this. You can't get this. Um, and if you'll push through that, I truly believe the Holy Spirit is going to start to answer those questions. He's going to start to speak to you and help some of this begin to make sense. Uh, Google can be your friend. It can also be your enemy when it comes to, what does this really mean in the Bible? you got to be careful and have some discernment uh, if, if you've got to go online and look at those things. But, but there can be benefit there if, if you know what to look for. Um, let me give you four recommendations when it comes to reading the Bible. Uh, when it comes to really all three of these questions, um, what, what would I recommend when it comes to the Bible? Number one, read consistently. Um, I think daily is the, is the best consistency. Um, there, there's just value in building that habit. There's just value in, in man, I'm going to get the word in me every day. The Bible compares itself to many different things. One of the things it compares itself to is bread. Uh, and it's food. I don't know about you, but I like to eat every day. I don't miss too many days of eating. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so if, if we're comfortable eating every day because we recognize my body needs fuel, then I'd encourage you to recognize your spirit needs fuel every day. Whatever you feed is going to thrive, and whatever you starve is going to die. Don't starve your spirit. Uh, so read consistently. Number two, read prayerfully. What I do before I read the Bible, I pray pretty much every time. I mean, I, there, I'm sure there's a time where I've missed it or I've just dove right in, but I'd say 99.99% of the time before I open the word, I pray. And it's not a long, hour-long prayer. It's a, it might be 30 seconds. Holy Spirit, speak to me today. God, give me something that I can apply. God, show me something about yourself in this word. Help me to see what you want me to see as I open this today. Read prayerfully. Uh, and then usually I'm going to pray after I read. 
uh, some application. God, forgive me for this. God, I blew it in this as I look into the mirror of the word of God and I see the things that I've missed. God, help me to grow in this area that you've just challenged me in. God, help me to apply this, whatever it might be. Um, but, But read consistently, read prayerfully. Thirdly, read strategically. Read strategically. In other words, don't just open and hope it shows up. Have a strategy. There's a million great Bible reading plans out there. If you have the, the Bible app, uh, the YouVersion app from Life Church Oklahoma City, if you don't, I'd encourage you to get it. Um, they've got a billion reading plans in there. Find one, but have a strategy so there's some consistency to what you're reading. My best recommendation is have a reading plan that's taking you through a whole book at a time rather than jumping around from this chapter to that chapter to that. I, there's a, a ton of value in seeing the context of an entire book. Um, so read strategically. Number four, read inquisitively. In other words, read with the mentality that you're going to learn something. Read with the idea that God's going to show you something in here, that you're going to get something out of this. God, I, I think there's something here that I don't know yet. God, I think there's, there's something in this that I haven't learned and I haven't applied yet. So show me. Um, and, and most of the time when I read, I'm looking for one or two takeaways I'm not trying to process like the whole fire hose in one gulp. I'm trying to find something that, that's going to inspire me, that's going to encourage me, that's going to help me. Something that I have to wrestle with. Uh, I, don't, I don't think God's intimidated by our questions or us being uncomfortable with certain things that the Bible says. God, I, I didn't love that it said that. I think that's okay. Ask him. God, what did that really mean? God, what what is in me that's not like what's in you that causes me to dislike this thing that I just read? That's that's an honest conversation with God. Uh, But I think if we'll have that conversation with God, he's going to conform us more and more into the image of his son through his word. He's going to make us more and more like him. So that's four tips when it comes to, to consistently reading the Bible. Man, how do I do this? Read consistently, read prayerfully, read strategically, read inquisitively. Question four. Uh, as a working mom juggling kids, husband, chores, sports, etc., I get burnt out so easily. Some more identification with this one, right? Okay, I'm not a working mom, but uh, most of the rest of that I can identify with. Um, it's hard to find even five minutes a day to spend with God unless I wait until after bedtime, and by then I'm exhausted, uh, or if I wake up before everyone in the house. Is it okay that I pray slash worship in the car on the way to work? Or do I truly need to find time to sit down, open my Bible to read, or do a devotional to get closer to God? Um, My answer to that would be yes. Yes, it's okay to spend time with God in the car. Yes, it's okay to worship in the car. Yes, it's okay to pray in the car. And yes, you need to find time to sit down with God. Um, It's not either or, it's both. Um, I think... Five minutes is a great starting point. It doesn't have to be, man, I'm finding an hour. I think all of us, if we're really diligent, we can find five minutes. Whether that means five minutes on our lunch break at work, uh, five minutes, like you said, before you get up, before everybody else gets up, or after everybody else. I think the best place to be, if you can get there, is to do it in the morning. Because um, now you've given your, the Holy Spirit ammunition to, to bless you throughout the day. 
man, to guide you throughout the day, something for you to chew on. Now, some of us are so flat out worthless in the mornings that if you try to open the Bible in the morning, you're back asleep, and now you missed work, and now you really need to pray because uh, uh, life is falling apart. Uh, so if, if you're that person and first thing in the morning doesn't work, Maybe get up and get ready first and then take five minutes before you leave if that gets you a little more prepared. Maybe get to work with five minutes to spare and spend those first five minutes at work with God. Find something that works for you. Everybody's wired differently. Again, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt read the Bible as soon as your alarm clock goes off, right? Like the, it just, man, spend time with him. Uh, and so, yes, absolutely, it's okay to spend time with God in the car. It's okay to spend time with God in the shower. Um, like, take advantage of those moments for sure, but I would still shoot to have some dedicated time because when we have that dedicated time, it, it allows us to push beyond distractions. Um, I'm not driving. Somebody didn't just cut me off. I don't know about you, but I can get out of the spirit real quick when I'm driving, uh, get into something besides the spirit real fast. Uh, and so... <laughs> That's right. Uh, the enemy's good at, at pulling me out of that. So having a time where there aren't any distractions available, the phone's turned off, um, I think it's going to bless you in a great way. Uh, and so that would be my best recommendation for you. Do, it says need. Are you a failure as a Christian if you don't? I don't think that's the case. I just think you're missing out on some cool things that God has for you. I think there's a blessing in it if you will build that consistency, build that daily habit, carve that time out for God. Um, I don't, I've never met somebody who regretted it. I've never met somebody who built a daily time where they made the sacrifice, made room, right? That's the whole theme for this year. What do I got to get rid of? What do I got to throw overboard so I have a little bit more room for God in my life? I've never met somebody who did that and said, yeah, that was a waste of time. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. Next question. How long should you pray every day? Question number five, how long should you pray every day? Well, the Bible only has one comment about a length of time for a person to pray on a daily basis. Now, there's times where we see Jesus and the disciples prayed for an hour. There's times where we see Daniel just pressing into God's presence for a long, long time. There's times where we see people do those things, but it never says that, hey, everybody has to do this on a daily basis. So there's one spot where it does talk about length, and it's 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and it says, pray continually, or in the old translation, pray without ceasing. So we all failed. We can all go home and know that we're equally failures together, right? Uh, that's not a command to just pray nonstop and be worthless to the people around you. God wants you to love him first, but he wants you to love others almost as much, right? We're called to each other, and you can't just be there for each other if all you're doing is praying 24 hours a day. I don't think you're called to be a monk, go move to a monastery, and lock yourself in a room. It may, I don't think most of us are called to that. I'm not going to say nobody's ever called to that. Uh, but if you're married, if you have kids, I can pretty much say you're not called to that. Because uh, you've made commitments. You've got responsibilities uh, to other people. And so how much should you pray? The Bible doesn't say. Here's the best answer I can give you. Just pray more. You praying 30 seconds a day? Let's make it five minutes. You pray in five minutes a day, let's take it to 10. Like, let, let, let's just take a step. In fact, we talked about, if, if you need some help with this, we talked about prayer in, in two weeks in our Make Room series. 
We said, number one, you just need to pray. Number two, pray more. Number three, pray for more, right? Like this is, this is the goal. Um, I believe it's like anything. The, the more that you do it, the easier it gets. The more that you build those spiritual muscles, the, the more that you do it, the hungrier you get for it. Most of us don't even realize how much prayer we lack because we haven't developed the habit of getting into it. And, man, once we get into it, we realize, man, God moves. There's a peace that fills me because I've spent time in prayer. It gets addictive. I get hooked on that. I need more of that. And so I'd encourage you, wherever your prayer life is at right now, just shoot shoot to add a couple minutes. Shoot to add five minutes to that. Uh, And as you go, as those muscles build, you're going to do more and more and more. So I'd encourage you to pray more. And then last question, question number six, as we get ready to close. Why do many people become attracted to secular music more than worship music, even as Christians? Why is music so attractive slash seductive? Um, Let me preface with this. There's a real danger in getting legalistic here. I, I grew up in church where, man, if you listen to secular music, you weren't really a Christian. Uh, and, and I mean, really, like we judged people like, well, they say they're a Christian, but they listen to blah, blah, blah. Uh, and hopefully they get in, right? Uh, and, and so I went through seasons as a young person where I listened to nothing but Christian music. And I think God used that in, in an awesome way in my life. But the motivation and the heart for it was off. It was a legalistic motivation, not, not a, man, I want to pursue God and surround myself with an atmosphere of worship and an atmosphere of his presence. And because the motivation for it was off, I'd experience things like this. I'd go to Chili's, and there'd be a Goo Goo Dolls song on, and I'd feel shame because I liked it, right? Like, I enjoyed it, uh, and, and now I'm, like, under condemnation because I heard a secular song that wasn't from God. That's not Jesus, That's not what God is calling us to, that you're under condemnation because you heard a a secular song or because sometimes you enjoy some secular music. What, What I would encourage you to do is to begin to discern what's beneficial for you and what's not. What's growing you in your faith and what's pulling you away. There is absolutely secular music that's not healthy for believers to listen to. Not because it's secular, but because it's ungodly. Because it glorifies things that God doesn't glorify. Um, Now, for some of us, there may be seasons where we just need to stay away from all of it because we don't have any discernment. And if I listen to some, I'm going to listen to any. And that's who I was as a teenager. I was either all in or all out. And I didn't know how to say, okay, I can receive this. And and this is acceptable and okay. And it's not bringing harm. And I can enjoy it. And and I didn't know how to discern and say, nope, I'm not going to receive that. Uh, And if you're not at that place... It's not bad to go cold turkey for a season. Uh, The great thing is Christian music has improved a lot since I was a teenager. I'm old. Uh, When when I was a teenager, Christian music was not of the same caliber uh, as as it is today. Uh, And and thankfully, it has gotten a lot better. Uh, And so I think you can have Christian music that you enjoy, that, uh, that, man, appeals to the way that you're wired, whether that's worship music or not. Um, I do think there's awesome value in just putting on some worship music. I know this, the days that I put worship music on, 
I'm a whole lot better to the people around me than the days that I don't. There's just something about that atmosphere that changes the way that I treat people. Now, you may not be wired that way. That might just be me. I can't prove that to you biblically and say that all you should do is listen to worship music. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think if you'll try it, if you'll find a Spotify list or Apple Music list or whatever resource you, you prefer for music and, and go look for worship that connects with you. Maybe it's some of the stuff that we listen to here. If so, we've got this thing called City Church Sounds that has every song that we worship to here. There's an archive, City Church Sounds archive. And so you can go all the way back. I don't know if we started it maybe three years ago. Um, and it's got all the stuff that we've done. And so that's a great place to begin if you need some resource for worship. Maybe our worship style isn't your style. And you're like, nope, I'm not going to City Church Sounds, duly noted. Uh, that's okay too. Uh, the great thing is we live in an age where stuff is so accessible. Find something that does get you in the spirit. Find something that does get you into the presence of God. Uh, but, but just try it and see what that atmosphere will do for you. Again, I'm not saying you should never listen to a secular song. I'm not saying that if you go see a movie and there's something on the soundtrack that you need to repent. Please, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not God. I don't believe that at all. Um, I do think what we listen to matters. Uh, and, and I think it makes a huge difference. In fact, to answer this question, why are people so attracted to secular music? Um, let's turn to the book of Ezekiel. I don't preach out of Ezekiel a whole lot, but Ezekiel chapter 28 gives us some insight into Lucifer, the fallen angel who is now Satan, uh, that I think is, is really insightful, I guess. It's insightful insight. Hallelujah. Uh, terrible vocabulary, but we'll go with it. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. So Lucifer was beautiful. Lucifer was adorned with precious jewels. What's interesting about this list, I don't have time to show you today because we're almost out of time, but in the book of Revelation, we're going to see almost that identical list that we are adorned with in eternity. Uh, and so Lucifer was adorned this way in heaven as an angel. It says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So Lucifer created being was created with timbrels and pipes. A timbrel is, is like a big harp. Uh, he was created with instruments. Uh, verse 14, you are the anointed cherub who covers. An anointing is, is when the Holy Spirit comes on someone to make them better than what they are for a specific purpose. You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. What does all this mean? Well, most Bible scholars interpret, and what I certainly agree with, is that Lucifer was created as the archangel of worship. That he was created to lead music. That's why he was literally created. God created him with instruments in his being. He was created to worship. Uh, and when he fell, when he came against God, he, he basically got to the point where he wanted to receive that worship for himself rather than God receive the worship for him. So, what does that have to do with you and me today? But the question is, why are people so attracted to music that doesn't glorify God? It's because the prince of this world, which is what the Bible calls Satan, is what he knows. This is his expertise. This is, this is his wheelhouse. This is his sweet spot. Why is the enemy so good at producing music that's so ungodly, that's so toxic, that's so unhealthy, that appeals to us so much? 
because he was created to create music. This is his design. It's his DNA. Uh, does that mean that anything that's secular is demonic and wrong? I'm not saying that. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I am saying be careful about what you listen to. The enemy knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for a long time. For a long, long time. In fact, we go back into the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We, we, we see this giant altar, this giant demonic God that is being called to worship. They worship it with music, right? As soon as the music starts, that's when they're supposed to bow down. And so the enemy is really good at twisting and perverting and corrupting. And he's done it with music. He does it time and time and time again. Here's the good news. Let me give you some redemption in this real quick before we pray. The same way that Lucifer was created to worship, you were created to worship. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I actually believe is, biblically, we don't see any replacement for Lucifer. We don't see any new archangel of worship. There might be one. But what I actually think is that God didn't replace Lucifer with an angel because he replaced him with us. You were made to worship. I was made to worship. He gave us pipes to sing. Now, some of our pipes sound better than some of our other pipes, and we hate you, those whose pipes sound good. Uh, still working through some stuff. But whether your pipes are finely tuned or your pipes need a little bit of work, you were made to worship. You were given that place in all of creation. That's why it says, even the rocks will cry out. If we don't, right? Like, if i got to find somebody else, I will. But you're plan A. You've been given this place. You've been given this purpose. This has been anointed upon you to bring God worship and to bring God praise. And that's why I think it's so important that we don't wait till Sunday morning. Yes, come worship on Sunday morning. I live for these four songs. Actually, I get eight because I come to both services. So I get twice as much as you do. Sometimes I even get a bonus one at the end of worship practice. I might get nine or ten in. But... But, but, but I'm grateful for this team that makes it easy to enter into God's presence. But if all I do is wait for this team to bring me there, I'm not living out my purpose. Because I was created to worship. Now, I was one of those that was created with some busted pipes. But God says, make that joyful noise, right? Like, he doesn't care that my pipes are busted. He just wants me to use them. You've been given that place by God himself. What an honor. What an invitation. Why has the enemy worked so hard to get you to listen to anything else? He fell because he wanted worship to come to him instead of to go to God. It's the whole reason he's not in heaven anymore. It's the whole reason he's not the archangel of worship anymore is because he said, I'm tired of this stuff going to him. Bring it to me. And now God created you and said, I'm going to make you the worship leader. I'm going to make you the one who comes before my throne and gives me glory. And so the enemy is working tirelessly, nonstop to keep you from living out that purpose. So what happens when you worship? You glorify God. You invite God's presence into your life. You bring peace and joy and all that stuff. But you also spit Satan in the face. You can't keep me from worshiping. You can't keep me from my purpose. You can bring pain and discouragement and unfortunate circumstances, and you may be able to do all that, but I'm not going to let you keep me from living out what God made me to do. That's a pretty awesome thing. Pretty incredible invitation that God's given us. Would you pray with me?